Good morning. You well? Yeah, just getting my props ready today. We're talking about having baptisms on Easter Sunday. And uh, no, that is going to be a special day, though. It, what a way to celebrate Easter um, with actual baptisms. And uh, so if you haven't been baptized, but it's just been something that's been sitting there thinking, I'd like to know more about that, or I think I want to get baptized, please come and see us, um, because that's going to be a, a really special opportunity and moment uh, in more ways than one, not just what the day is, but what the day will mean to you uh, on, that, on the day that you get baptized. We've been doing a series uh, called As God Moves, and Mark had mentioned, oh, it'd be great to come up with another kind of acronym uh, for AGM, Annual General Meeting. So, Heather, come up with this great acronym for it, instead of annual general meeting, as God moves, meaning that the things that we do, the things that, that we do in the life of a church, um, we want to do in following what God has shown us to do. We don't just want to be cavalier, we don't want to be mavericks and just get out there and do our own thing. We want to do things on purpose, we want to do things uh, as good as we know how to do and what we believe God is speaking to us. So the ad guys, God Moves became quite a, a good title for us to use. And um, we've looked at so far, as we've been going through Ephesians, we've looked at, we as God moves, we are made alive in Christ. As God moves, we grow. As God moves, we express diversity in our gifts through unity. And as God moves, we are transformed. And today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. And I've called today's one, As God Moves, We Love Him. As God Moves, We Love Christ. So this verse says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, there's actually two parts to this message today, and uh, the first part is going to be shorter, but it's probably the most important part. But because we've kind of already talked a little bit about this in weeks gone by, I don't want to not mention it at all, but we've also spent some time on it. So I will mention it because it is really, really important that we talk about this. The first part is that we are dearly loved children. And the second part, which I'll get to a little bit later in the message, is uh, based around how we are to follow God's example and follow Christ's example and for us to walk in the way of love. Following God's example as dearly loved children to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. So that would be our response, and that's part two. But before I get to, to part two, I do want to back it back up to part one to talk about how we are dearly loved children. And to do this, I want to share a little bit of a, a testimony, uh, a bit of a personal story for myself. And uh, in 2012, uh, my wife and I and our three kids... Um, we moved to America, you, some of you heard this story, to plant a church in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, we loved it, and it's hot, 
and it was a lot of fun and it's hot in Arizona. No kidding, like it's probably about 10, 12 weeks in a row where every day is over 40. Um, they say it's a dry heat, like that's supposed to make you feel better and I, and I guess it does a little bit, but it's still hot, it's still hot. And we had a great time there planting that church, seeing the church grow and then at the end of 2017 that season ended and we moved back to Australia. And Sam's a school teacher, so she was really blessed to be able to get a job, get the, the position teaching in the school that she was teaching in before we went there. They were, because she's an awesome teacher, they wanted to have her back. And our three kids, they were all school age, so they went into, uh, into school. And then there was me thinking, oh my, what's next? What do I do now? Um, what job do I have um, at that point, none. It was, it was really a, a time of faith, trusting God in all of this and applying for a lot of jobs, doing courses. Um, maybe do I go back into the IT world and, and all those kind of questions that I was going through. And in the midst of all that, I actually meet up with Mark for the first time. I'd never met Mark before. And I'd met him uh, at Greater West for Christ, an organisation here in the Greater West part of the Baptist Association that had this incredible vision to bless churches. And it just so happened that they wanted to, they needed someone to help them out with their IT. So I, it was great that I got to get a job with them. But the more Mark and I talked, there was this bit of a dream and a vision and something was already growing before, I had, before we'd moved back about planting a church, a multi-denominational church in Glenmore Park which today is called Penrith uh, City Chapel. And so I thought, man, that sounds amazing. It's a little bit Baptist. It's a little bit Salvation Army. It's a little bit ACC because I was an ACC pastor at that point. I thought, how cool is that that churches would, not just churches, but denominations would actually come together and combine together and, and uh, work together. So I thought, that sounds awesome. And uh, so we, Sam and I, we had um, moved... Um, from the church that we were at, just asking God, what's next in that space as well? And I was a little bit in no man's land. Even though all this stuff was really exciting, I had this thing deep down in me going, I don't actually know where I belong right now. I don't know, I, I don't belong in, in the church that we were a part of, and not that anyone shunned us, we just knew that that wasn't that season for us anymore, but we didn't know what was next. And uh, here's Mark and he knows what he's doing in the Baptist world and here's the Salvation Army officers and they know what they're doing in their world and then here's me thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm crying out to God and I'm praying and I went into Kurong one day and there's a guy, the guy who runs Kurong, his name's Warren, if you've ever met Warren. And almost out of desperation, I was just, hey Warren, have you got a book you would recommend? And I didn't tell him in what context, I said what book would you recommend, Warren? And he gave me this book called The Furious Longing of God. And I was reading through this book and it came to this passage in Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 10, that says these words, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. And I read that, that verse kind of stuck out to me and I, and I thought about that verse a fair bit and... Um, kept going about my week and I was just leaving a meeting with Mark and the Salvation Army people and so forth and driving away with this, still with this sense of, 
I don't know where I fit here. I don't know where I belong here. I was, I was completely lost, to be honest. And I know I'm kind of, I'm not kind of delving into the depths of despair before your eyes, but I felt like it was pretty deep. I felt like it was pretty deep at the time. And I'm literally crying out to God and saying, God, I don't know where I belong. And it was in that moment where I just heard come back, just in my heart, where God says, you belong to me. You belong to me. And it was at that moment where I realized it didn't matter what denomination I'm a part of. It didn't matter what church I'm a part of in the context of my belonging. What actually mattered more than denomination and more than church is that I belong to Christ. First and foremost, right? We would all say that, that we belong to him. I'm blessed. We are blessed by denominations in the organization and the infrastructure and, and the things that happen, the resources that are available. Um, we are blessed to be a part of a church and get to know each other and, and brothers and sisters and, and friendships. And we're, we're blessed by all of that. But my belonging has to go deeper than that. My sense of belonging has to go further down than that to where my relationship with Christ is. And when I read that, that's when I knew in that verse that I read, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. I belong to the one who loves me. I belong to him. He loves me and, and that's where my sense of belonging is. And not only does he love us, but the next part, of, have you got that verse there? The next verse along? His desire is for us. See, he doesn't just love you because he has to. The Bible tells us that God is love. And so we kind of insert this little assumption then that God loves us because he has to, because it's who he is. But also, I love that second part that says, but he actually, his desire is for you. It's not just love because he's got to do it. It's not just love because he grudgingly thinks, oh man, I've got to love Warwick today. No, he delights in that. He delights in that. And for us today, when the going back, looking at that verse that I started off with, we walk in the way, so I go back one slide, to follow God's example as dearly loved children. That's what we're talking about today. We are dearly loved children. And this is really important for us to look at and to get this. This part one, even though I've probably spent more time on it than I intended, it's really important for us because... We've got to know where we belong. We've got to know that the context of anything that we do beyond that point is from a foundation of God loving us. And um, it's pretty, pretty special. And this letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians, he wrote that in 62 AD. And then there was a second letter that was written to the church in Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, we read it 33 years later. And I'm going to read those verses out from Revelation 2. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. It's talking about Jesus here. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. Talking to the church in Ephesus. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. 
Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The church in Ephesus had been instructed by Paul's teaching and then to, to love and then corrected again a, a 33 years later in this next writing in Revelation. So it's important for us to know that it's, we don't just want the knowledge of what God says. We don't just want the knowledge that of, of what we've just been reading, but we want it to actually transform into how we live it out. It's one thing to know that God loves us and it's one thing to know that we're to, to walk in the way of love. It's like I tick that box, tick that box. Yesterday my son asked me a question because he was talking about IQ and, uh, and he had a, a bit of a conversation with his friends and there was this conversation around what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? And he said, Dad, do you know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? And... Uh, I wasn't, he's 16, so I wasn't sure how deep he was wanting to go on this one. But I said, I think knowledge is remembering information. It's knowing information. Wisdom is knowing how to apply the information. And it's the same as true when we come to the Bible. It's, it's one thing to be able to recite Bible verses and to be able to say, ah, oh, the Bible says this. But if we're not living it out then all we've really got is information. What we haven't really got is wisdom. And so this is the purpose for this letter in Revelation saying, hey, all these great things that you're doing, but you can't forget the most important thing is that this, this is a love relationship. It's not, a, not about works. It's not about the good things that you do to earn favor with God. This is about a relationship with God. So it's where the information actually needs to become something that we live out in wisdom. So what does it mean for us to walk in the way of love as we love Christ? As our dearest friend, our closest friend, we want, we want to, to love him. He loved us first. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. And I just want to put a little disclaimer in here. So I'm grateful that our salvation isn't dependent upon my love for him, right? But I'm I want to love him more anyway. I want to know him more anyway. I'm thankful that my, my eternity is not reliant on how much I love Jesus, but I want to be more devoted to him anyway. And I was thinking in terms of something us parents would understand is that when it talks about as dearly loved children, we have, if we have children or if you are a child, um, there's, there's a place of belonging that you have. It's not because of whether you've been a good son or whether you've been a good daughter. You are, if you're here, you are a son or a daughter. And, and that's, that's who we are too. We, we haven't got to earn our sonship. We haven't got to earn our daughtership. We, we have that already given to us. We haven't got to be better, do better. And even though we might want to do some things better, it's not for the purpose of, of earning God's favour or God's blessing or God's salvation. So let me ask you a question today, and you don't, this is, you don't have to answer this out loud. How's, how's your love for God? How's your devotion to him? How's your commitment to following Christ out of your love for Christ? And there's no wrong answer to those questions, right? 
you might say, man, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so there right now. Like, awesome, absolutely awesome. And some of you, you're kind of trying to, you know, a little bit on the inside, squirming a little bit because, man, it's nowhere near. Or maybe it's, I don't even, I'm not even fully understanding what this is about yet. It's, it, there's no wrong answer to these questions. Because it's not really about that. It's more about him. It's more about his love for you than our love for him. Even though we want to grow to know him more. Even though we want to know, get to, to love him more. And so as we follow his example, we, we then walk in the way of love. That we would walk out our lives loving Christ also as a fragrant offering. Now in the book of Matthew, in the books of Matthew, Mark and Luke, there's this account of this woman who comes to Jesus in Bethany and she brings this expensive perfume and it's told three times this story. I'm going to read two of those accounts because I think it's such an incredible picture and an amazing picture, hopefully, of what we're talking about today, how our love for, for Jesus can be that fragrant offering as well. So I'm going to start with Mark 14 and just the first five verses. Now the Passover and the festival unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. And while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Now, yesterday, my, my wife Sam and our daughter Jessica, they went to the shops and uh, got this little pottery. It's not alabaster, but it's going to serve as a bit of a metaphor. And this is not pure nard either. Um, but this is perfume. And this, this woman that, that we're talking about in the Bible, um, in one of the other accounts that I read shortly, she's what they call a sinful woman. She, she, um, she has a reputation around the town. She, everyone knows her. Her occupation is that she's a, a, a prostitute in she, and everyone knows that she is living this dark, secret life. And the life of this lady was such that when they would finish working, I'm trying to be um, nice with my words. Uh, when, when she would finish working, her, her working career was over, she would have this uh, perfume. In fact, what would happen is when, when she would be paid, she would go and exchange the money for some expensive perfume and put it away in the jar and it would serve as like a superannuation, a retirement fund because the day when she would stop working, no one would employ her for anything else. So she had to find a way to look after herself in old life. And so every time she would have a, a job, an appointment, 
Every moment where she's dying a little bit more on the inside, she'd take the money and she'd go and buy this, buy this perfume each time. And it's expensive perfume too. It's not just perfume like this one that was 20 bucks. It was, it was expensive. In fact, it was uh, worth more than a year's wages. I'm not sure what you get paid in a year, but could you imagine spending that much on perfume? Husbands, this way you say, absolutely. But each time she had to work, she would get paid. And each time she would go and exchange it for this, always constantly being reminded of what her life was. Now for the exciting bit. I brought another prop with me today. Now, last time I used a hammer in church, I was smashing a mirror and I cut right into my finger. So I'm going to try not to do that today. In fact, I'm going to put this somewhere else. Because she brought this alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of pure nardis and she broke it and poured the perfume on his head. And because some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. We read the same account in Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that room who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there <clears throat> sorry, with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his, hair, his feet with her head tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, is this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgot the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to, to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, or as her great love has demonstrated. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So I want to talk a little bit more about this alabaster 
box, this alabaster jar of expensive perfume, because it was really significant. It represents her past in so many ways. And she came before Jesus, and as we read, she broke it, and the, and the perfume, you can just imagine, this is a large room, so I don't know if everyone's going to be smelling that perfume anytime soon. I hope it smells good. I have no idea. But the smell of the perfume in that room filled, filled the room. And here it is, this, this broken bit, this broken jar now, in pieces before Jesus. And this is no small moment for she has a reputation. Everyone knows who she is. Everyone knows what she's done. Any possession that she has is going to be identified by what she's done, by what she's earned and by what she's paid for and how she's earned that money in the first place. And knowing that Jesus is there, she takes the most precious belonging that she has, the thing that has the most value, the alabaster jar full of perfume, and she doesn't open it carefully. She didn't just pour a little bit out. She didn't measure out just a little bit of it so that she could save it up for later. She broke it. She smashed it. She, could, she can't put the perfume back. I can't put the perfume back into that jar now. And she couldn't put the perfume back into that jar either. It was all, it was all good. She broke it and everything it represents. It was a letting go. And in a ways, if you want to call it this, it was also a bit of a form of repentance in saying, I don't want to go back to the life that, I was, that I've been living. I don't want to go back to that anymore. I want to be here with, with you, Jesus. It was a letting go, turning from her old life and breaking what that old life represented. And it also represented her future. Her trust is no longer in her expensive perfume. It's all gone. She can't sell it anymore. Even if she could have sold it for a year's wages, she can't now. She can't get it back and back into the jar. She now has nothing of her own to support her future financially. Her, her superannuation, if you like, her retirement, it, it's all gone. But her breaking the alabaster jar was a statement that her future is now not going to be determined by the results and by the things of her past, her future is now going to be determined by her trust in God. Trusting and knowing that God will somehow provide for her future. Watching over now, watching over her now as dearly loved daughter. And her offering represented her present. Her place was with Jesus. She held nothing back. Despite the shame and the rebukes that she got, the ridicules and the rejections, she courageously and humbly faced all of that criticism just to be there with Jesus. She knew before she walked into that room that she was going to be ridiculed. She knew that everyone in that room was going to know who she was and what she'd done, what her reputation was. How courageous, how humble for her to do that. It's no longer seemed to matter what people thought of her or what they knew about her past. She was now in the best place she, should, she could possibly be, and that was with Jesus. And as I spent time, as I, as I wrote this message, I, I prayed that it would stir each of us to consider our own love for Jesus as well. 
Are we still holding on to things of our past? Are we trusting in other sources for our security? Are we standing back a bit from Jesus because we're afraid of what others might think? Are we willing to be ridiculed or teased because we're fully devoted to Jesus? Can we do some heart work today? And if there's anything we need to break, then, then we should. That, that, we should break that stuff. Not physically. That's just a metaphor, right? But that's my prayer. And here's the wonderful thing. If we will break whatever needs to be broken because of our choice to love Jesus, it becomes a fragrant offering. We're going back to Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. So he's our example. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering, as we love him, it's a fragrant offering to him as well. Like it was for that lady with the perfume.